Welcome to the Marxist Think Tank podcast, an attempt to look at the world from a class-conscious perspective and to build. Good morning. It's 10 past one, 11 past 9 on the 8th of April 2022 in Beijing. Good evening to you if you are in the US watching on the 7th of April. Uh, it's the MTT News of the Week. Uh, this week, we don't have uh, Jin with us. I don't think so. Uh, I've been struggling to contact him. But we also had some technical issues last week with our account with the streaming service we had. So apologies for not being here last week. Um, but we're back. And of course, we will be continuing with the news of the week. Um, we're going to try a different format today. We've um, compiled a bunch of different um, a bunch of different streams and pieces of information. So aggregating um information you'll also notice that there is a slight drilling <laughs> um above me uh, my neighbors have decided to start rebuilding their apartment so if you're watching this and this sound is too difficult uh please tell me and then maybe we'll actually uh suspend we'll see we'll see how it goes because it's a bit intermittent so they're drilling here and there but let's see how it goes um hello hello young tom okay so Starting from Monday um, of this week. So on Monday, the big stories were obviously this Bucha situation. Sorry. So obviously, as Russian forces were retreating from Kiev, um, pulling back from Kiev, I should say, uh, northern parts of Kiev and the northern towns or towns to the north of Kiev, um, the big story was uh, the allegations coming from the Ukrainians um, accusing Russian forces of executing civilians. Um, Obviously, the West condemned these um, apparent atrocities too. That started on Sunday, so last Sunday. Um, then the discussion, particularly from Western media, was the outrage from these allegations were going to push the EU to impose uh, stricter sanctions on Russian oil and gas. Um, so Germany's defense minister said that in light of the Bucha atrocities, even though at that point there were still just allegations, um, the bloc should consider banning Russian gas imports. And Lithuania did do that on Saturday, last Saturday. So, of course, Europe's ongoing um, energy consumption uh, basically sends about $850 million each day uh, to Russia. But, of course, they do get energy in return. Um, but that just stresses how big of a deal that is. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of energy. Um, right. So, of course... This was the big story and is the big story. And this has become the, uh, you know, a narrative piece, uh, Bucha, this town, this suburb northwest of Kiev, where apparently, um, you know, bodies with their hands tied behind their back, tied behind their back, um, apparently have been killed and executed civilians. Um, the Russians, of course, have said this is fake. It's a, you know, Western operation. It's a Ukrainian operation. Uh, it's not as it's been depicted by uh, Western sources. Um, yeah, so that was the big story from Monday, and then we'll be discussing that as we go along. In terms of, um, let's just see if we've got any comments. Okay, no one's commenting on the uh, the sound yet. So yeah, please do tell me if you're watching this and the sound is unbearable. We'll bear this in mind for next time. Um, hopefully, my neighbors will be finished with their homework, their home repairs uh, in the future or next week, hopefully. Um, so yes, going back to where we were. On Monday, then, there was discussion and reports about the cost of living. So the fact that the cost of the war in Ukraine and as well as, of course, the effects of Russia and sanctions uh, was driving up the cost of food. But this is a particular problem for people in East Africa, um, which is also facing a one of the worst droughts it's haven't had in four decades. Um, so there have been lots of effects to this war, oil prices, uh, gas prices, uh, and now, of course, food prices too. Um, so that was what was being discussed on Monday, in addition to the butcher story. Um, in terms of the war on Monday, um, there were reports, of course, there that the, the, the fighting was still quite heavy in the south, the southern coastline. Um, Ukraine had then also said that it was had taken back a number of the towns near Kiev, to the north of Kiev primarily, as the Russians pulled back and refocused on the east. Um, I think last week, sorry, the week before last, we already discussed 
how that pullback was painted as a retreat from Western media, um, but from the from the Russian eyes or from the uh, even from a French analysis, that perhaps the effort to put troops near Kiev was a fix and hold operation to keep the Ukrainian army uh, pinned, to keep large amounts of their units pinned while uh, the bigger effort in Mariupol and Donbass and Luhansk was um, pulled off. Um, we're yet to see, so that's that's obviously still um, going on right now. Okay, the other thing that this war had an effect on this week, particularly for Europe, was Serbia and Hungary. So there are two elections in Europe uh, happening this week, or happened this week, um, one in Serbia, one is Hungary. And of course, these are described as, as Kremlin-friendly leaders by a Western, Western perspective. Um, the war, Ukrainian situation, obviously cast a shadow, let's call it a shadow, or cast an effect on the, um, the elections there. Um, other news, of course, was that the US continued to help uh, arming Ukraine, sending some Soviet-made tanks to Ukraine. And then Pope Francis um, was being criticized because he has still not blamed Putin for the war. Um, this was a Western criticism of Putin. I'm sorry, of, of, of the Pope. Okay, then in terms of moving away from Ukraine to Pakistan, um, Pakistan's parliament actually uh, dissolved. So the prime minister, Imran Khan, dissolved the National Assembly and was calling for new elections on Sunday, last Sunday. And he uh, blocked a no-confidence vote that was supposed to happen and was expected to potentially remove him from office. Um, this was seen as quite defiant, um, a, a bid to remain in power, particularly by Western perspective, such as the New York Times. Um, so according to Western perspective, uh, Khan is, is, is losing the backing of the military. Um, and overall, this situation is threatening to plunge the country into a constitutional crisis. Um, so yes, uh, on Saturday, uh, last Saturday, Khan said he would not accept the result of the vote. Um, and he said that this is part of an American conspiracy against him. Okay, so obviously this is quite important um, because Pakistan is a very is a very close ally to China. Um, so if any uh, push or change in that country to the West or to the US, um, that would affect, of course, China's uh, relations with um, Pakistan. Um, yeah, Pakistan is a key partner on BRI, as well as, um, you know, in terms of regional politics, they're a very big partner with China um, in terms of in infrastructure projects too. Um, so we'll be continuing with the, I'll cover that story a bit more as we go along through the stream, because it does reach a sort of tipping point or a crescendo point. Um, yes. Okay, good. Yeah, so our sound sounds like it's good. So our sound sounds okay. Thank you. And yes, we'll be mentioning Sri Lanka as well. Yes, that was also in the news. So I'll be covering that one too. Um, yes, coming back to the story. So I was just coming, commenting on someone's thing there from the stream. Yeah, so we'll come back to Pakistan in a bit. Um, just to give you some analysis and some perspective, of course, um, Pakistan has nukes. Um, they've supported the Taliban in the past. And an interesting fact, which I didn't know, Pakistan obviously became independent in 1947 from Britain, um, but not one of its prime ministers has completed a full term since 1947, which is which is very surprising. Anyway, um, and Khan himself is a former cricket star who was elected in 2018. I guess you could describe him as a nationalist. Um, his thing was about fighting corruption and actually distancing Pakistan from the US, um, which well, let's just say they've had a troubled history. Um, and as I said already, if Khan went out, then it's likely that Pakistan might go closer to the US and to the West. Okay. Other news then on Monday uh, from, from Asia, from that part of Asia, uh, the Taliban have outlawed poppy growing. Um, so as you know, if you don't know, sorry, Pakistan, uh, Afghanistan is one of the, it is the supreme place where poppy and slash opium is grown. Um, Obviously, it's a cash crop for farmers in Afghanistan. But uh, now the Taliban, who ruled the country since last year, uh, have outlawed it. Um, they outlawed it on Sunday. Um, so they banned the use, uh, sale, transfer, purchase, import, and export of wine, as well as heroin and other drugs. So wine is also out. Uh, 
the big thing with this is, of course, that it's a cash crop and farmers have already planted the crop, um, which, you know, for them is sort of a store of value and investment. Um, and if you haven't been following the news, Afghanistan is in a financial crisis right now, primarily because well, of the collapse of the Western-backed government, but also because their funds, the reserves of the previous government, have were not released to the current Taliban government. So essentially, they don't have their own reserve. Um, and the country is on the brink of complete you know, collapse, economic collapse. And there's you know lots of reports of starvation and, and issues. So um, having to take away the cash crop, even though it is heroin and poppy, is going to be uh, going to you know add to that crisis. Um, so we'll see how that goes. A pretty pretty dire situation for Afghanistan in general. Just to give you statistics, there, Afghanistan accounts for eighty percent of the world's supply of opium. So yeah, um, and. This is not the first time that the Taliban have banned it. So the Taliban in the 90s banned it. Then when the invasion came in, they unbanned it because they needed money and they needed to tax the farmers and the farmers needed to make money. So they've always had a back and forth relationship with Poppy. Depending on how bad things are, they'll ban it or unban it. Nonetheless, so that's Afghanistan. Uh, other news then for, uh, for Monday, uh, Sri Lanka's cabinet. So uh, they resigned en masse on Sunday and street protests broke out uh, and we'll continue speaking about that one in a moment because that story continues throughout the week uh, a two-month truce was brokered between the parties in yemen um, the war in yemen which was brokered by the un and it went into effect on saturday um, which is good news uh, the people of yemen have been suffering uh, war for years now um, mainly because of saudi intervention and, and by extension western intervention um, so I suppose perhaps this is a, a positive moment for the people of Yemen to have a uh, relief from war. Other news then uh, in terms of Western Asia or the Middle East, if you want to use that term, um, Israeli security forces killed three Palestinian militants in the occupied West Bank. Um, and let's just take a look here quickly. I think someone might be joining, maybe Jen will be joining us. Okay, okay there we go. Um, yeah, sorry to go back there. Yeah, so three Palestinians were killed um, by Israeli security forces. So there's been a back and forth, if you've not been following that, of Palestinians being killed by Israelis and then Palestinians responding. Um, violence between the two sides. Um, the Israeli apartheid security forces killing Palestinian um, fighters as well as civilians. Mm -hmm. um, Turkey. So... Um, if you're not familiar, there was a journalist called Jamal Khashoggi who worked for the Washington Post, a Saudi citizen, but also a U.S. national who was murdered uh, in, the in the Saudi consulate in Turkey. And of course, there's been an investigation, a trial. And now Turkey is preparing to move the trial for the murdered journalist um, to Saudi Arabia, which um, if you're familiar with Saudi Arabia, effectively means that the case is, 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 is over. I mean, uh, I, I doubt that there will be a, a balanced assessment of what happened in that trial. Um, so that's happened in Turkey. Uh, a small story then, after a five-year delay, uh, the US has sent an Algerian man home from Guantanamo Bay. So a five-year delay, um, I'm not sure on how long he's been there in total, uh, but there you go. Still people in Guantanamo Bay rotting away um, on Cuban soil. Yeah, so leaders of the free world. The good news, though, for Monday, uh, a good story was workers in New York City uh, formed Amazon's first union. This was a pretty nice story. Um, if you follow our stream a few weeks ago, we had Vassal on uh, who talked about, we talked about unionization in general, some of the issues with unionization, the fact that the general strike is weakened, um, you know, permanently, I suppose, because of legislation in Congress. Um, but there are still small efforts, and this is quite a big one for unionization, particularly Starbucks. Starbucks have had a number of unionizations now, but this is the first Amazon um, outlet or distribution center that's been unionized. If we'll, we'll go into the story a bit more in depth next week when we have Jin back. Um, but that was the news for Monday. So that was just Monday, just covered Monday. But these stories that we've just spoke about pretty much carried on throughout the week. 
Um, the other ones are, well, they'll come up. So we'll talk about France and, and also more on Bucha as well as a statement from the Russian Communist Party. Okay, so Tuesday, Tuesday, um, Biden, uh, Biden called the, you know, the Bucha stuff, he called it a war crime. He said, this is a war crime, blaming Russia. Um, and he said that the US would impose additional sanctions on Russia. Some European leaders also followed on this, it demanded uh, tougher sanctions and also a potential total ban on Russian fuel imports. Um, Moscow obviously continued to deny that its soldiers had anything to do with the atrocities. Um, they accused the West of fabricating evidence of the killings and saying anyone uh, attributing to them to the country's actions would could face prosecution. Okay. Um, there was a discussion about these satellite images uh, that allegedly show the bodies being there um, when the Russians left. But I've seen the footage and I saw Sky News' analysis of this where they said, even then, uh, on a very right-wing uh, Western source, uh, the description was still, they seem to show, these could show, these seem quite um, conclusive. I mean, you can't have something that seems conclusive. Uh, I, I think that this should be investigated by an independent body um, as soon as possible and figure out what happened. Um, yeah, and to, to pick one side, to pick uh, particularly, to, to take the West's word on this would be uh, ignorant of what's happened in the past with Western allegations of war crimes and Western allegations against their opponents. So yeah, um, nonetheless, in response to this, uh, in a further escalation of the conflict, Germany, France, and Lithuania expelled Russian diplomats. Um, yes, and then the beginning of the push for something big that happened later in the week was the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. said that America and its allies would seek to suspend Russia from the U.N. Human Rights Council. Okay, so obviously, if you are unaware, Russia has a permanent seat on the Security Council, which is a you know a pillar of the international system. So I don't think that the Americans would ever choose to push. Russia out of that, but the UN Human Rights Council, um, they might push them out of that. That's a less, uh, I guess, a less fundamental pillar of, of the international order. In terms of the state of the war then, um, it seems that Mariupol still has some as of um, fascists in it and some Ukrainian fighters in it. Um, but they are must uh, they seem to be in a very tiny strip that might be in what's called the azov style uh, i believe steel works in there um so yes still fighting there but it, basically the, the the city is effectively in control in russian control but still with fighting going on and shelling going on um yeah apparently there's still 130,000 people in the city uh, you know uh, stuck because of the fighting so then following on from what we said on Monday, that election in Hungary, uh, Viktor Orban, who's seen as a pro-Kremlin individual, quite a right-wing character in my opinion, um, he won re-election. And of course, the president of Serbia, uh, Aleksandr Vucic, also appears to appeared to have won re-election. Um, so the, the, the war didn't destabilize, um, it seems, their hold or their, 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 their terms on power in Hungary or Serbia. Uh, a story about natural gas. So Europe um, was short or is short of 50 billion cubic meters of uh, additional natural gas. Um, so this thing about the energy effect of the war is quite, you know, literally, literally coming home to people. Uh, this is again, now there's a gas shortage in Europe, as predicted <laughs> when this conflict started. The idea of, of, of cutting off Russia from Europe would have an effect on gas. And there it is. Coming to um, Hong Kong. Um, so Hong Kong has, uh, Hong Kong's leader, uh, the person running it, is called Carrie Lam. And she announced on Tuesday uh, that she would not seek a second term um, as the leader of Hong Kong. Um, she obviously oversaw the 2019 riots, uh, the, the response to the riots, and of course, COVID. Um, she has been criticized for her response to COVID, um, particularly in China. There was quite, you know, compared to other cities, she had a, a quite a high uh, infection rate uh, under her watch. So we'll cover the response to who will take over potentially, um, which brings us to our Wednesday and Thursday news. Okay, yeah. But yeah, just to give you that statistic, um, 
at one point the the city's coronavirus fatality rate was among the highest in the world, um, largely because older people were unvaccinated um, in Hong Kong at least. Okay. Uh, then coming to Pakistan again. So, of course, that story continued throughout the week. Um, the Supreme Court then had to give a verdict um, on the situation. And, of course, then the court could order the vote of no confidence, jeopardizing Khan's hold of power. The court could rule that Khan's move was unconstitutional but opt out. Uh, or they could resolve to uh, restore the dissolved parliament or allow the vote to move forward. Okay, Or the court could decline to interfere. Okay, we'll come back to that Khan story in a moment. So I'm just getting a response here from someone. Let's see. Uh, okay, cool. Wonderful. Yes, let's see. Okay, so uh, one of our one of our comments here. Mario Paul might have a NATO general in there. Uh, yeah, yes, and also tons of helicopters were sent for rescue ops. Uh, there was also quite a big story about um, a helicopter shot down in Mario Paul, uh, which was holding a lot of commanders, uh, Ukrainian commanders and stuff. In terms of NATO um, general in there, I mean, if he's in there, he's doing a, he's doing a really bad job. Uh, I, I don't really see the value of holding um, a strip of what what appears to be just the remnants of steelworks in Mariupol. They've clearly lost the fight there. I mean, if they're doing it for attrition, general attrition of the Russian side, then it's a, a martyrdom operation. Um, but yeah, if you have any more, uh, Yom Tom, on which NATO general, please share it in the chat and we can uh, we can discuss it, look at it. Um, yeah. Okay. So coming back to uh, Sri Lanka. Yeah, so with the resignation of the cabinet on Monday, uh, the protests continued um, and posed obviously a serious threat to what's called the Raja Rajapaksa family, which has what what's described by Western media as a dynastic rule. So we'll see um, what happens with that. But that's been a very big story there. There's lots of protests and a lot of political action taking place in Sri Lanka right now. Um, coming to France then, uh, France is preparing to vote for its next president. Um, and that election, if I'm not mistaken, is happening this weekend. Um, the big sort of concern is to see where or how well Marine Le Pen does. Marine Le Pen is seen as a far-right candidate, anti-immigrant um, I guess a French nationalist, you could call her that. Some might call her a fascist, uh, sure. Um, but I think, to be honest, the biggest story from Tuesday, apart from um, the ongoings in, in, uh, with Carrie Lam, as well as um, you know the, the, the war, the continuation, and, and the push to push Russia out of the Human Rights Council, was something a bit left of field. But Elon Musk, um, obviously, is now the is now Twitter's largest shareholder. So he. Um, he purchased <laughs> um, more shares than anyone else, and uh, he also demanded to be on the board uh, of Twitter. So I listened to the BBC's analysis of this or their commentary on this, uh, and obviously Elon Musk has enough money to buy Twitter outright, but of course he doesn't want to own it like that. I think that would be too uh, vulgar, perhaps, <laughs> but he'll be on the board. Um, the BBC correspondent did describe this as saying, this is like an old media baron, you know, from the 19th century, you know, money bags rolling in, buying the newspaper so that it can publish and say things, nice things about him. Um, they also described him as a, a free speech absolutist. Um, okay. Nonetheless, it does sort of underlie the idea that if you have enough money, you can buy yourself a seat on the biggest media outlets and media platforms. And by being on the board, you get to influence the decisions and the policies and perhaps the editorial line of an outlet. So, of course, this is Twitter. Um, board, uh, Musk now has some sort of voice as to how Twitter is run. Um, so bourgeois press, I don't know if you want to use that term. But yes, we, we can see that the role that capital plays in controlling information there, I think, if you want to use a Marxist perspective on it. Um, that was Tuesday. Coming to Wednesday, um, one second, let me see if there's any comments. Here we go. Here we go. So this is from Yom Tom, who's in our, in our stream here. Uh, so this is, so Yom Tom obviously talked about a, um, about NATO sending generals into Mariupol. Um, okay, so they say he's trapped. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, US Lieutenant, so apparently this is rumors that, yes, um, US Lieutenant General Roger uh, Cloutier 
is trapped with uh, plus minus 4,000 Azov battalion fighters in the Azov style steelworks in Mariupol. Further rumors are that Klautia and other NATO officers are in fact hostages of Azov battalion. Okay, well, th thank you for that, Yom Tom. Um, I, I would be fascinated if they catch this a US general in uh you know command of an azov battalion that's not a good uh you know up op the optics on that is terrible on multiple levels firstly you've got uh that's a u.s you know general that's u.s boots on the ground fighting russia which uh you know as much as nato is sending arms and sending um and has been training uh having an actual soldier on the ground uh fighting russian troops would be you know that's that's the next level kind of stuff uh, i'm sure there are operatives western operatives um, intelligence and whatnot, but fighting troops would be that's a you know another ball game. Uh, yeah, yes, no, the French Foreign Legion are, are definitely there, but um, they I guess it's kind of they're more as um contractors on the ground there, but um, yeah, uh, we'll see. I, I think I'll take your 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 comment for that one. I'm not going to go too, too any deeper on that one because it does say there are rumors, so we'll see what those rumors lead to. Fascinating contribution, thank you, though. Thank you, young Tom. <laughs> okay, so. Coming back to Wednesday, um, Zelensky addresses the UN. So the Bucha narrative, uh, the allegation of civilian killings, um, obviously became a big piece for Bucha, for, for Zelensky. Um, and so after he visited Bucha, he went to, you know, to the UN Security Council on Tuesday. Uh, also Tuesday, so the news came out Wednesday. Uh, and gave a fiery speech uh, where he said, you know, where is the Security Council? It's obvious that the key institution of the world to protect peace cannot work effectively. Um, and he said that in more than 300 people have been tortured and killed in Bucha. Also allegations of rape uh, and yeah, a general lament. He gave a general lament of, of the Security Council. Um, of course, that would be what he says. He wants to paint Russia in the worst possible light. Um, and of course, the Security Council is what's stopping. Well, the Security Council with Russia, in it, as it currently is, is stopping uh, the UN and other forces from being able to intervene more directly in the conflict. Um, so I, I think it's kind of expected that Zelensky would say this, right? No surprise. Okay. Um, yeah, his speech then at the same time uh, came as the EU sort of was moving to ban Russian coal imports. And they were working on banning oil. So that this this push for further bans um, on coal and oil. So the gas and other, you know, the sanctions in general is swift, all that stuff. This is now another layer. So we're talking about a further cut um, from on Russia, a further severance of the economic relationship with Russia. Um, but again, Germany uh, is extremely reliant on that energy. So to just unplug coal gas, oil, uh, all of that from, from Russia you know, and, and severing Germany from that, it's just not so easy. You can't just turn, you can't just turn it off. You can't just unplug it. Okay. Overall though, by Wednesday, it's clear then that the war is moving to the east, um, Donetsk and Luhansk. Um, according to the New York Times, they think or uh, that the next pivotal battle might happen in the eastern city of Slovyansk. I've heard other people say Izium. I've heard uh, still people just don't talk about a general uh, encirclement uh, around Donetsk and Luhansk. Um, but that's according to the New York Times. Okay. Anyway. Um, yeah. So further sanctions against Moscow. Um, another layer of sanctions, in addition to the oil and gas and coal and everything else, uh, was to cut off Russian vessels from EU ports and also targeting two of Putin's daughters. Um, so sanctions specifically, you know, aimed at her, them, sorry, the two girls. Um, uh, and then the US blocked Russia's access to dollars for bond payments, uh, which of course heightened its risk of default and endangering its international currency reserve, okay? So uh, I believe later on the week, this resulted in Russia paying in rubles, which had been a big story, big, big discussion point for a number of weeks, um, yeah. Cool. Um, so then coming on to sort of other developments for that day, uh, Italy and Spain also expelled Russian diplomats um, in the middle of the week uh, for security concerns. There was 
hacking story about uh, hackers invading Ukrainian websites and posting fake claims that the military has surrendered. Um, well, they have surrendered in some parts. That's certainly not untrue. Um, and then Spanish and U.S. authorities seized another yacht owned by a Russian oligarch. Okay. So coming away from Ukraine then for the middle of the week for Wednesday, um, other developments. A big story, of course, is coming to COVID, Shanghai. Um, Shanghai, a city of 25 million people, is in lockdown, uh, full lockdown. So it's probably the biggest lockdown in the world of, you know, of a, of a city, at least, in terms of cities. Of course, countries would be bigger. But, um, yeah, uh, it's been quite tough for the people in Shanghai. And it's really testing the zero, zero COVID response from the government. So the one of the stories about this, which... Uh, has upset a lot of Chinese people was there's a policy um, where if a parent or a child is infected with COVID, there's a separation policy depending on who has the virus. And yeah, not a good policy. A lot of people upset about it. So there's lots of uh, outcry and online sort of fury about um, this policy. But um, it looks like later in the week, having you know assessed the effect of this policy and seen the outcry, um, the government did change the policy and adjusted it. Um, but yeah, that was quite, 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 it's quite tense in Shanghai right now. People are, are have been home for weeks and unable to go out. And, and the, the numbers, the numbers in Shanghai of, of new cases is, are still very high. And by Chinese standards, extremely high. So 10,000 or 13,000 per day. Um, and most of these are um, asymptomatic. So Omicron and asymptomatic, which is making it extremely difficult to uh, control and control and curtail. On balance, this is, uh, yeah, like I said, really testing the zero uh, zero COVID strategy. Yeah. Okay, so moving on from uh, that, we talk a bit more about the French vote. So a big uh, narrative piece on the French election is, of course, how right-wing, how far right-wing has, has France become? Um, and Marine Le Pen is being seen as sort of a, a marker for that, how much of the vote you'll get. So the, uh, the New York Times talks a bit about um, a number of anti-Semitic attacks. So, um, you know, a, a Jewish man um, being killed hit by a tram after he was chased by a group of young men. Um, and then refer, refer back to another number of incidents in 2017 where a Jewish uh, woman was killed um, thrown out of a window. So right now the overall... Um, effect what people are looking at when they look at the French election is to see how far uh, how far right wing they are basically um, as in, at least in, in bourgeois politics. Um, of course, what they haven't reported here in the Western media is how far Melanchon, how much support Melanchon has. Um, there were some polls that he had at least ten percent and might he would probably break through the first rounds of voting. Uh, but we'll see that this weekend. This weekend will come up, and next week when we come back, we'll be able to report on that. Okay, so coming to Thursday, um, the fighting in the East, uh, again, this, you know, the fact now that the fighting in Luhansk and Donetsk for Ukraine, uh, the fighting is taking place there. That's the, the main effort. Um, yeah, um, one second. Yeah, and of course, this vote on the UN General Assembly um, on whether to suspend Russia from the Human Rights Council uh, was actually, I think the results came out on Friday this morning. They're out. So, um, yes, I'll, I'll talk about that in a moment. Just to check my comments here. Yes. Uh, yeah. So one of the comments from our viewers, um, the ruble has reached pre-war levels. Yeah. And also the oil price is, um, fluctuating in favor of oil producing nations, but also in favor of Russia. So, um, yeah, not only is, is the Russian ruble, um, booming actually, uh, oil price is also having a great benefit for the uh, for the Russian economy. Um, you know, quite a, quite a negative effect actually of the intention of of, of trying to cut Russia off um, and financially hurt them is the price of oil has gone up, so they can't really have the full effect that they want to have. Okay, um, I'll come back to Ukraine in a moment. Uh, so, in terms of Asia, there was a story about. Um, the fact that the nuclear questions, having nuclear weapons in South Korea, um, this was being revived, uh, which, uh, you know, they gave up weapons decades ago. Um, but, of course, with North Korean uh, tensions, 
with the China tensions and the US tensions and the new Cold War that we're most likely in, um, it seems the South Koreans are considering nuclear weapons and the development of them. Um, if you have been following our show, you know that uh, two weeks ago, we had, there is a new South Korean leader who is quite right wing, and, you know, in some respects described as a bit of a Trump. Okay, but uh, that's what has been reported this week from uh, Western media. In terms of Ukraine, then, uh, just some other bits and bobs. Russia has withdrawn all of its troops from around Kiev and Chernihiv, uh, according to the US. Okay, uh, And then another video did come out of Ukrainian soldiers killing uh, captured Russian troops near Kiev. And if, well, we didn't get the chance to report on this last week, but there was there have been a number of videos of Ukrainians also, uh, or allegedly also committing um, war crimes. Uh, so shooting prisoners in the legs, executing them. Um, so allegations of war crimes are flying around everywhere. So um, it's quite interesting that the West is very picky over which war crimes they mention, which crime war crimes they have to omit, sort of, you know, begrudgingly. I hope the sound is still fine. Um, if you're if you're listening right now, I hope that this the drilling of my neighbors is still making this bearable. So if it's not, tell me, and then I think we might we might have to suspend. I don't know. It's not too loud. Um, I don't think it is, at least. We'll see. Um, yeah, just coming back to that. So the video of Russian soldiers being shot in the leg and also other videos of being executed are not being shown as widely as the Bucha incidents. Um, both of those things would amount to war crimes. Uh, and another element to this is of that... Uh, 2,000 Ukrainians so far have made their way to the U.S.-Mexico border in recent days. And if you've been following this, you'll know that there were already awkward moments in the, on the Polish border and on the, um, on the Polish border with Belarus of the last few months, where if a Belarusian or Ukrainian uh, migrant refugee um, comes to the border of Poland or to the U.S. in this case, um, they are being accepted. They're being allowed in uh, because of, of uh, I'll let you fill in the details of why you think it's the case. But uh, And alongside them, there will be Afghan, uh, Mexican, or other refugees from other countries, and they don't get let in. Um, so I have a feeling that this incident here of Ukrainians on the U.S.-Mexico border might make a few awkward moments for American foreign policy because I have a feeling that they have a higher chance of being let in than the Mexicans. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, so just on that thing, again, coming back to the um, uh, rubles. So Russia used rubles to pay about $650 million in uh, dollar-denominated debt obligations. So, yeah, this was a threat. They said they were going to use rubles to pay um, for debt, and the debt was in dollars. Um, yeah, so this was quite a big slap to the Russian, to the Americans because, of course, they, how dare you pay <laughs> your debt in a non, you know, uh, internationalized currency. How dare you not pay in dollars? Um, so the Russians did do that. So we've seen, we've been seeing some great economic um, stories coming out of this this conflict um, in terms of shaking the international financial system, the, inter the imperialist dominated financial system. Um, yeah. Coming back to Hong Kong. Um, so I mentioned that on Monday and Tuesday, Carrie Lam announced that she would not seek her next term. So on Thursday. Um, it came out who the next guy might be, or the next person might be, uh, John Lee. Uh, so he's expected to be Beijing's choice. Um, uh, he, uh, so Lam, Carrie Lam, she's from the Hong Kong civil service. That's her background. But Lee, the potential new guy, uh, spent his career in the security services. So police, prisons, um, fire departments, immigration, um, before he became the security secretary. So... He's also less of a business um, person. He has less business contacts than previous um, uh, leaders of Hong Kong. So, um, yeah, he is putting his name forward, and it seems that he's a positive or sorry, a, a likely candidate for um, Hong Kong. Mm. Okay. Um, in Israel, there was a crisis, um, parliamentary crisis, um, after Edith Silman. So she's the whip, the de facto whip. Um, she quit the coalition government on Wednesday. So if you're not familiar with politics, parliamentary politics, um, the whip is in charge of making sure that the party 
votes in line in parliament so making sure that people vote for the motions that the party wants them to vote for because they are you know individual parliamentarians who represent a party but they still need to be told to vote and they can also you know not vote anyway to have the whip uh resign is a pretty pretty bad situation that means that you've you know the the the, 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 the mechanisms for controlling the party in parliament are weakened um and if you haven't been following coalition governments in israel have been a disaster uh in terms of trying to form them they take months to form and there's been lots of uh you know rounds of negotiation which uh, ended last year um when when um what's his name gone benny uh bb sorry uh netanyahu went out and the new guy came in so we'll see what happens that looks like uh israeli politics is going to be um in turmoil soon um then coming forward to a big story for i guess for communists um and particularly for african socialists the military tribunal um in burkina faso uh, convicted the former president of that country for his role in the 1987 assassination of thomas sankara so perhaps some justice has been served for the murder of sankara so we can we can have some i suppose some good news about that it's a shame that perhaps the French role in the murder of Sankara is probably not going to be as <laughs> sad. We can't put the French imperialists on trial yet, um, but maybe it's a step in the right direction. So nonetheless, that's happened. Um, the conviction of that former president and uh, for the assassination of, of Sankara. Okay, so coming to Friday. Um, Friday, um, obviously for the news of the week, we do have to go by the format of the week so this is our new format so tell us if this format has worked for you or not um the un voted they did vote to suspend russia from the human rights council on uh, last night the news came out on friday morning of course um leading to really leading russia to with, withdraw um china obviously opposed the measure measure um and but that happened it happened so uh, russia has been suspended from the human rights council if i'm not mistaken though um, i believe saudi arabia is on that human rights council so I don't ever feel like it was that much of a human rights council. But nonetheless, um, that's happened. Um, this motion for banning Russian coal hasn't happened yet. It's still being pushed. Um, so we'll see probably by next week when we speak on Friday or when we broadcast on Friday what the conclusion of that will be. Um, but it has not happened yet. And that is the same for the oil. Uh, the, 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 the effort to ban oil and coal has not happened in the EU yet, uh, but we'll see where that goes. Still lots of pressure mounting on that one. Okay. Um, obviously, NATO still is discussing sending more military aid to Ukraine. So that's still going on. I mean, in the week, the US had already sent tanks, uh, Soviet-made tanks, to fight in Ukraine. Um, but NATO is discussing sending more arms to add more fuel to the fire of the conflict. Um, and the main reason being that they want to try and change the result perhaps in the fight in the East, which my guess is that Donetsk and Luhansk will, you know, the Ukrainians will lose it and uh, it will fall into the hands, back into the hands of the Donbass people. Um, that's my guess. Uh, we'll see how that goes. That's going to take a while though, because that is where the large, the largest part of the Ukrainian army is, is in that part of, um, Okay, thanks, Todd. I'm glad that the drilling, <laughs> the drilling is fine. Thank you very much. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. So coming back to the conclusion for the week, um, fighting still holding out in Mariupol. There's still um, fighting. Mariupol still hasn't fallen, according to a number of sources. It's a very small sliver of the town city that's it's being held by Azov, um, but it's still there. Um, Imran Khan in Prime, uh, in Pakistan, um, the Supreme Court did overturn his move to dissolve Parliament on Thursday. So they have set the stage for a no-confidence vote on Saturday. So the no-confidence vote for Imran Khan will happen on Saturday. Um, the expectation is it will remove him from office, which means that Pakistani politics is going to be thrown up into the air, potentially a push to the US um, or for a more us friendly government we'll see what happens but the vote is going to happen um a fallout from that of course is the, the rupee did sink to a record low on thursday 
as you'd expect, uh, political turmoil, right? Um, in terms of Shanghai, uh, also the the policy was turned or changed um, after lots of petitions were signed, um, you know, uh, with the separation of children policy. So there was a change in that policy. Um, the government did listen um, in terms of that one. Then um, some other minor stories we had. Uh, Nancy Pelosi was, was supposed to be heading on her Asia trip. Uh, she tested positive with COVID, uh, along with another bunch of administration officials or regime officials, I should say. And um, this is a big story, though, because um, this, might, this actually might be to Pelosi's advantage because it was widely reported that she was going to be heading to Taiwan. Um, she was going to go to Japan and then to Taiwan. And the Chinese, uh, Beijing, was not very happy with this, as you'd expect. Um, so perhaps she's dodged a bullet there, and perhaps we've dodged a very, um, the very heavy effects, uh, diplomatic effects that would have come out from that. Um, obviously, a major contradiction to the one China policy, which we've discussed before uh, with Jin when he's here. Perhaps Jin will be back with us next week. Um, a minor story then, just to finish off from the news, which has come out the, the latest uh, news. Um, the leader of Yemen has abdicated after the ceasefire took effect. So the ceasefire was announced in, earlier on the week, and now the leader of Yemen has abdicated. Um, we'll have to follow that up a bit more next week as we are running out of time. Um, France is heading to the polls on Sunday um, for the presidential election. So we'll see what the result is. Uh, Marine Le Pen, the estimates is that Marine Le Pen doesn't have a strong um, you know, support. So we'll see what happens on Sunday. So a pretty big weekend ahead of us. Saturday is the no confidence vote for Imran Khan. Sunday, France goes to the polls. We've already had the Serbian leader re-elected this week, as well as the Hungarian leader re-elected this week. Gas, sorry, not gas, oil and coal, banning of oil and coal imports to Europe is still on the table and being discussed in the EU. And the fighting continues in Mariupol, as well as in Donetsk and Luhansk. Um, I'm just going to finish with a statement from the Russian Communist Party. So this is... Um, from the um, CPRF, Communist Party of the Russian Federation. And this is in relation to the Bucha uh, incident. So this is their opinion on the matter. So I'll read this quickly for you, and then we will close. Um, yeah, the heinous provocation of Bandera Nazis requires investigation. Statement by the chairman of the CPRF Central Committee. A real hysteria has begun in the West about the alleged atrocities of the Russian army in the city of Bucha, located near Kiev. The victims of the atrocities were allegedly discovered as soon as our army left the region. The Russian Federation has declared the necessity to call an urgent meeting of the UN Security Council in order to demand that Ukraine provides evidence. The Defense Ministry of the Russian Federation has already officially denied the accusations, stating that not a single civilian was injured during the location of Russian military formations in this city. Pictures of the so-called murdered individuals emerged only four days after the arrival of the Ukrainian troops down there. More other facts testifying the staged nature of this provocation are available. As you know, the key line maintained by the political and military leadership of Russia is the one aimed at maximum reduction of civilian casualties, as well as decrease in destruction of civilian infrastructure, and in general, the massacre of civilians is alien to the Russian-slash-Soviet army. Even after invasion of the territory of Nazi Germany in 1944-45 happened, after monstrous atrocities committed by fascists in the USSR, the Red Army troops were given a strict order to prevent from revenge to the civilian population, and this order was rigorously implemented. On the contrary, the armed forces of the United States and other NATO countries have become famous for terrible reprisals. Simply recall Hiroshima and Nagasaki, peaceful cities where the United States destroyed hundreds of thousands of Japanese by using nuclear weapons. The bloody trail has been following Americans since Korea, Vietnam, Yugoslavia, Iraq, Syria, and Libya, like a part of countries where Americans are personally guilty of massacres or committed them by the hands of their local hires. Bloody provocations look like the trademark of U.S. imperialism. It's quite sufficient to recall the incident in Rachak in Kosovo, when 34 dead militants of the terrorist KLA were presented as civilians killed by the Yugoslav military. Later, independent Finnish experts refuted this statement, but the job had already been done. The incident in Rachak appeared to be justification of NATO intervention against Yugoslavia. During 78 days of merciless bombardment of peaceful cities, thousands of were, people were killed or injured, and more than $100 billion of damage was caused. It is absolutely clear that the statements about the atrocities of the Russian army are part of the information war of the United States and its allies against Russia. 
used as a reason to support neo-Nazis. Current pro-NATO Ukrainian elite is capable of more than such propagations. The whole world looks with horror at neo-Nazis in Ukraine, using civilians as live shields. Capturing of several hostages by terrorists in the West is always being presented as a terrible crime. Meanwhile, dozens of cities and towns have been turned into hostages in Ukraine, whose residents are not allowed by local Nazis to leave the areas of, of hostilities. The official authorities of Ukraine cannot contribute to the creation of humanitarian corridors, but affect in every possible way the departure of citizens from settlements in combat areas. In this line, first of all, the tragedy of Mariupol should be mentioned, where militants from Azov, Nazi regiment, have arranged firing points in multi-story buildings, along with prohibition for residents of these houses to leave the city. This is only a single, but not the most terrible example of deliberate genocide to which the civilized West turns a blind eye. The Communist Party strongly condemns the heinous joint provocation of Ukrainian and Western politicians and demands a comprehensive and scrutinized investigation, not staged fakes, but of numerous real crimes of Bandera Nazis, including the brutal torture of Russian military. And that's from Gennady Zuganov, the chairman of the CPRF Central Committee. So I'll leave you with that one. That is the, the last statement we have. Uh, thank you for watching, everyone. And uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, I think Jen will be back with us. We've had some technical issues over the last two weeks with drilling and whatnot. But if you have enjoyed this, please do like, subscribe, and hit the notifications bell and all that stuff. And we also will put this on our podcast. And also, please consider supporting us on Patreon. And we look forward to seeing you next week. So thank you very much for watching, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. And that is it for this episode of the Marxist Think Tank. Catch us every other week here on SoundCloud. To allow us for our reporting and our content to remain independent, please consider donating to our Patreon and becoming a voting member in the link down below in the description. If you have a news tip or would like to talk to us, please email admin at marxistthinktank.org. Our editor is Sean Sanchez. News writer and producer is Reggie Truman. And I'm Oscar Bastille. Thank you for listening.